That is day two in the books of NetApp Insight Berlin. It's been a great day. We're actually sounding a little better today. We're not recording in a back alley somewhere, all sketchy-like. We're in a, the EBC at Insight Central, where you can actually come and talk to uh, customers and executives. Glenn, do you know a little bit more about what the EBC is? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, you know, the, the EBC is an executive briefing center. Uh, we, we have uh, major centers in RTP, uh, in Sunnyvale, and then in Amsterdam. Uh, and, and they're just locations where uh, any NetApp rep can bring a customer in uh, and, and the, the uh, EBC team will work with them to, to facilitate and build out a schedule, getting the right people involved, making sure that, that we can bring in the subject matter experts to speak to whatever that, that particular customer may need. Uh, fortunately, we all do EBCs. We do. Uh, so we went to our good friend Jocelyn uh, and said, Jocelyn, pretty please, can I borrow a room today? Uh, and, and she was so kind as to give us a room. I feel a little nervous because she's staring at me. Yeah. So we better not tear this place up too bad. That, that's probably her staring because we're supposed to be out of here right now. You have 30 minutes and we're gone. <laughs> wow. 30, she, that's intense. That's okay. Intense. Set so. the clock. <laughs> 29 minutes and counting. If you, saw, if you saw the look she just gave us, you would probably leave right now. No. In all seriousness. Uh, today was pretty cool, guys. Oh, yeah. What'd you think? It was pretty good, yeah, yeah. What did you guys do? So, Andrew, what did you uh, get into today? Uh, I did a lot of sessions today, right? I, I did my two sessions, and we had some really great feedback from that. But uh, in all my spare time, I've been keeping up with what's going on at DockerCon. Oh, yeah, there's another conference going yeah. on, isn't there? So, what is this Docker you speak of? Yeah, I, I don't know, some containers thing. is Something with shipping. Yes. Oh, not yeah. this again. Is yeah. this the store with all the plastic bins? <laughs> no, oh, yeah, although, if you, uh, that's a great place to work, I hear. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, DockerCon was yesterday and today. We NetApp had a team out at DockerCon. Uh, they had a fantastic time out there. They got to talk with a lot of really great customers, and there's some pretty cool stuff that's coming out of Docker right now, uh, not the least of which, not too long ago, they acquired Tutum, so now they have both an on-prem and an off-prem management tool. So keep an eye on that one, guys. Right? I, I know that's kind of... Uh, kind of funny coming from me, right? I'm a, I'm a big containers guy, but there's a lot of really cool stuff happening there. And keep an eye on the netapp.github.io site. We're going to be publishing a lot of information about the demos, about the other stuff that we did at DockerCon. Nice. So there's going to be a lot of stuff on there that's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be interesting if you're a containers shop, if you're interested in containers. Glenn, what did you do today? A lot of running around, a lot of running around, a lot of customer meetings. Uh, I had my one session with Andrew uh, where we burnt it down today. What's your, uh, what's your step counter up to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll have a live step counter check here. Uh, let's see here. Oh, that's a countdown. Oh, countdown. Oh, oh, oh. Time to steps is 11,000 steps. Oh, that's wow. not bad. That's what was good. that, like that's six seconds good. for me to get to that's that pretty data? pretty good. Wow. I, I got to say, I'm pretty impressed there. I'm only um, at nine thousand. So wow. Yeah, that's, I have no idea because I didn't wear my Fitbit. Yeah, that's 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 a lot of walking around. But anyways, the highlight of my day was uh, Pete, Pete and I had an opportunity to sit down with the one and only, the Matt Watts. Oh yeah, uh, the, the the kilted the, one, the kilted Matt Watts. Yes, that one, the one <laughs> and the same. Uh, he was joined by by uh, some gentlemen from from NetApp Legal. 
and, and I don't know about you, Pete, but I was caught on, off guard. I thought this was going to be a really brief conversation. And next thing I know, we went for 15 minutes. I was just super into what we were discussing and found it ultra fascinating. Oh, it was brilliant. The, the chief privacy officer and, and the other senior folks here in Europe talking about legal information. So, yeah, let's, let's play that clip because I got a full disclosure. I had no intention of even understanding what they were going to say at first. And I left that conversation well informed. Really good. Let's take a listen. All right, joining us now on the Tech on Tap live stage here at Insight EMEA, we've got a special panel for the listeners at home, Pete. Yes, we do. We got Mr. Matt Watts with us again, and he brought legal with him. I think he brought legal because he's in a little trouble today. Did you see him at the general session? Uh, we'll get to that part later, but yeah, you might be <laughs> onto something there. Uh, let's go ahead and introduce the players for today. So starting off is Derek Schindler. Uh, Derek, you are the head of EMEA's legal field here at NetApp, is that correct? That's right, in the Global Contract Management Group. Okay, outstanding. And then sitting next to him, of course, is Sheila Fitzpatrick, who is the Worldwide Governance and Chief Privacy Officer here at NetApp. How are you doing, Sheila? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for asking. And great being here. Outstanding. Okay, and of course, the, the now infamous Mr. Matt Watts. Matt, how are you doing today? It's always a pleasure to be on this podcast with you guys. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So we have the opportunity to j just sit back now and watch this panel that, that you guys just did on the Tech on Tap live stage that, of course, went live to YouTube for the listeners at home if you want to go check that out for a more extended version of this conversation. But, you know, one of the challenges that we deal with in, in, in trying to go out and actually build this data fabric is as we move from country to country, nation to nation, geo to geo, regulations and laws become a real big thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was wondering, you know, since this is actually what you guys do and, and how you deal with it, you know, can you give me the, the current state of, of where things reside and what we're doing to, to, to help work around that? Sure, it is a hot topic and it is moving on a regular basis. Around the world, there's very strict data privacy laws that in most cases, about 80% of the laws are the same around the world. You see less restrictive laws in the US, but you see more restrictive laws, certainly in EMEA. Um, Asia Pacific is rapidly growing in terms of privacy laws. And what it, really what they mean is that before you collect, process, transfer, or store any kind of personal data on your employees or your customers, you have to go through a compliance process. That can differ based on the jurisdiction that you're in. But mainly, it really means making sure you comply with the requirements of each of the laws. Okay, you know, I heard a term earlier that, that Pete and I had to admit, we didn't actually under, we, we don't know what it means. Yeah. Um, perhaps we've been under a table trying to get ready for a, a, a conference. Yeah. But uh, we mentioned Safe Harbor. Derek, could you give us a brief explanation of what that means and how that impacts the EMEA market specifically? So in a nutshell, Safe Harbor was the attempt uh, about 10, 15 years ago to um, enable data transfer, personalized data transfer from the EU to the US. And um, the EU, as you know, has a quite um, elaborate um, data protection regime and, yeah. and the US had not so much. And so bridging that gap uh, was the intention of Safe Harbor. But it was it was never really it never really did the trick because in in, in fact it was it was re a relatively easy way to get the registration done and then it all came down to what actually is still true today what are you actually doing as a company in terms of your internal policies and your internal data controls and that execution was was not that strong and that reason really that was really the reason why it was. Um, eliminated by the ruling of the European Court of Justice in the, in the Schrems case who basically said this is not good enough and it can't it can't stand which which actually sent a shockwave through the market because people um, who are living in a 
international world are now scratching their heads saying, well, if that is gone, how do we legally transfer data between those two big markets? Do we have an answer to that question now? Or is that still something that, that, that we're trying to work through as an industry? That is a great question. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, there, there actually is an answer. And, and the first answer might be a typical lawyer one, like, you know, it's, it's not easy. And, and the reason it's not easy is um, there's not no um, one regulation that will be there and everything will be fine and people just need to live with that. We are, we are living in a, in a market where technology moves at an ever faster pace and the yeah. development and the, and the regulators can't catch up. Um, there was inactivity for too long, now the courts disrupt the market and until we will see regulation catching up, we might never see it. So the, what is the answer then? The answer is you need to be adaptable and you need to retain control to very quick, quickly move with new court decisions, new regulations or different markets you want to play in. So retain your data under your control and be be ready to move it around. That really is the answer. Yeah, you know, I never really thought about that. Legal, everything you do with legal takes forever. I mean, there's a million pages for every document for every single thing. So I would only imagine as a legal team trying to keep up with innovation and the speed of technology, that would literally make you go bald or go gray very quickly, no? Yeah, well, so far, we, we, we have no bald or gray here. So, yeah. so these guys have managed to avert that. Yeah. <laughs> Well Whether it's better better living through science, we'll never know. But, but the, a challenge at its other. Big, big yeah. challenge, right? Yeah, ab absolutely. It's a, it's a huge challenge, but it is also the opportunity for, you know, people like us, um, like, you know, with the great, great work Sheila has done um, to help our companies internally to do the right thing. I mean, our employees expect that from us, but also talk to our, our business and, and, and product development and, and, and help and advise how we can create solutions that are actually giving to customers and partners exactly that, a choice to do the right thing economically for them, embrace the cloud, leverage the cloud, but at the same time retain that data control that you want to have in, the, in today's world. All right. Sheila, anything you want to add to that? I, I'm going to have to admit, I, was, I did not know that we had someone charged with data privacy and governance. I'm, I, I'm not surprised, but I did not know about it. So, so given that this is effectively your charter and, and, and the swim lane that you own, you know, how are you dealing with this? Because we're a global company and we have to comply with the laws and, and regulations just like our customers do. Well, actually I'm very passionate about this, so that helps, and it is my role. I'm responsible for making sure that we comply with the data governance, data privacy laws in over 100 countries, and so my life consists of monitoring, educating, advocating, and executing on all the laws. And following up with what Dirk had said as well, you know, it's not just the control of that data, it's understanding what data we need in order to do our job. Do we really need to collect data on our employees, on our customers, and is there a legal and relevant reason to have that data? So it's, it's building that foundation, that groundwork of what data do you need and do you have a, a relevant and legal need to have that data as opposed to a, Oh, it'd be really nice to have this data. Nice to haves don't cut it in the data privacy world. Must haves are what's important. And then making sure that we understand that again, 80% of the laws are going to be the same. It's that 20% that keeps me awake at night. Knowing that if we move data from outside of say Germany to the Netherlands, we have to have an agreement in place. Even though they're within the European economic area, we had to put into place a contractual agreement. If we want to move data from 
you know, say the Netherlands to India, we have to have an agreement in place with our legal entities and our customers. So it's that transparency about what we're doing and having the proper controls in place from an administrative legal side as opposed to just looking at technology. So I live and breathe this stuff and I'm passionate about it. And I actually made the decision eight years ago that NetApp was not going to go safe harbor. We were going to be a global company with a global approach. I got beaten up for it quite a bit. People said, you're taking the conservative approach, you're making life miserable, but it's paid off in the long run. Yeah, that's fascinating. I never thought about that, but you're right. As, as, as you know, a TME inside the company, when we sit down and start developing software and solutions, your default is what's possible and what's achievable and let's get everything that's possible and everything that's achievable and, and we'll figure it out. But then you're right, as we go through that product development cycle, one of those steps is to go through and actually vet what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, and I never thought about it from that, that other point of view, but, but that actually, that's very helpful. I had no intention to go on for 10 minutes about legal things in the European Union. Yeah. This was actually rather fascinating. I hope the listeners at home enjoyed it as well. What did you think, Pete? I, I've learned a few things as, as every podcast we do. I think I've learned something, but I, I also see how the data fabric ties into this, this whole different challenge that we have that we don't have in the States, right? That with all these different rules. And so we've got Matt Watts here. Why don't we ask Matt to actually share a little bit about how the data fabric answers this question? I mean, again, I've had a fascinating time talking to these two today as well. And it's, you suddenly realize that when we talk about the data fabric offering kind of control, choice, freedom, you know, all of these wonderful terms, you suddenly realize why that's so important. You know, we keep talking about people wanting to build hybrid clouds, and we talk about all the economic benefits of it. Yeah. What we sometimes don't talk about, and what I'm realizing, is actually if you give people the choice to build their own cloud their own way, and to change it. So if a regulation suddenly changes it, you made the decision to use an Amazon, and suddenly a regulation changes to say, you can't put that data there anymore. The right. ability to be able to adapt and say, actually the data fabric allows us to bring another cloud into our hybrid world and we'll simply move the data across. I mean, you suddenly realize how incredibly powerful that is as we are going to continue to see an increasing set of changes. This is, the Safe Harbor is just the first. We're in the EU, we're wrestling, trying to get 26 different EU member states to agree on one common set of regulations. You know, we've been working on this for what, three years now? And at least, at least, at least, at least three. It started in 1998 when they started with the first Safe Harbor, or the first EU directive on privacy. So, so we've been wrestling this problem with for, for 17 years now, um, and, and it still won't get signed into law. So, yeah. you know, so this this is not something that's just a one-off. You know, safe harbor happened. Oh God, you know, what are we going to do? This is something we're going to have to just get used to. The regulations are going to adapt and change and evolve, and we have to build infrastructures and environments that understand that and can cope with it. And that puts us in such a great position with the data fabric. You know, speaking of the data fabric. Yeah. Matt, you shared a story today, and, and I'm going to go ahead and twist your arm and, and make you say it again on the internet. Um, we were all greeted yesterday uh, at the general session with the very one and only Matt Watts coming out on stage to explain the data fabric, only lo and behold, your attire was a little different than when we saw you first thing in the morning. Could, could, why, don't, why don't you go ahead and share that full story? Because I thought the, the, the reasoning behind it was actually fascinating. So, um... So the word fabric, for those of you listening, the word fabric doesn't translate into a lot of European languages. It doesn't mean fabric, as in cloth. Um, in German, in France, it means Germany, in France, sorry, it means fabrication, manufacturing. So we've been talking about this data fabric, and they're going, 
data manufacturing, data fabrication, you know, and it hasn't translated. So a lot of the feedback we got was, can we make the data fabric much, much more visual? Um, and that was my mission. I was told by my boss, you're going to do a keynote, it's going to be data fabric, make it visual. Um, so I thought about it for a while and took the idea home on Friday evening and sat down with my wife in the kitchen, who's Scottish, and uh, we had a couple of glasses of wine and started coming up with some ideas and had a few more glasses of wine. And anyway, <laughs> I think after about the second or third bottle, it ended up with me wearing a kilt on stage, would just be the great way of describing the data fabric for people. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And it seemed like a really good idea until about 15 minutes before I was due to get on stage yesterday. And at that point, when Rob Salmon walked in and just kind of looked me up and down, I was thinking, oh, geez, what have I done? <laughs> but by that moment, it was kind of too late. So, so yeah, the uh, general session yesterday was greeted to me wandering out on stage in a skirt. Well, you know, uh, I, I'll tell you this much, it worked. Yeah. Well, I have to say I'm slightly concerned that I wore a skirt on stage and I'm now sat between two of our legal team. But uh, <laughs> No privacy on those pictures. If HR suddenly walk over in a minute, I know I'm totally screwed. Don't worry, we'll handle it for yeah, you. I just figured. Yeah, you have counsel, you're good. Yeah. We'll take care of it. Not I just figured legal was charged with following you for the rest of the... The, the rest of the insight, just in case you come up with any more ideas. Absolutely. So I, I mean, in reality, the, the, the kind of the serious side behind it was, yeah. you know, how do we take that this idea of a fabric and how do we make it visual, make it work for a, a global audience? Um, and so the whole idea was to get people thinking it's about cloth. It's about how we weave different clouds together within the fabric to actually achieve what it is that customers want. And then I took it a step further to say that you think about the technologies as the threads within the fabric. ONTAP is a thread through the fabric. Ultavolt is a thread through the fabric. Storage Grid, thread through the fabric. And then link that to the values that it creates. And that's the idea, was to say, the fabric is all about bringing multiple clouds, multi-cloud environments together. And then our technologies are the way that we do that, that create unique benefits, unique outcomes. So it seemed to go down pretty well. We've, uh, we've had a bit of fun with it. Absolutely brilliant. You could not have come up with a better way to articulate that and to create a visual and to have people really remember not only how amazing you look, your legs, I don't want to go into detail, but you looked fantastic. But other than that, people are still talking about it and they know now really what it is, that data fabric. I'm going to always think data fabric, Matt Watts, thread, technology. You did it, man. Well done. I think the only, the only thing that was worried, I, when I came out on stage, the camera guys were a bit close to the front of the stage, so I had to kind of ask them to take a couple of steps back, and then all the way through my presentation, I was just waiting for somebody with a selfie stick to kind of <laughs> just kind of push that in at the bottom of the stage, but, uh, but we got away with it. Now so, that would uh, be a privacy violation. We, we definitely help you with that one. All right, well, uh, it sounds like the general session for today is actually getting ready to spin up, so we better cut loose here so we can get over there in time. Thank you so much for joining us today. This I learned a ton. Yep. This was a lot of fun for me. I love it when I get to learn new stuff. Uh, and as always, Matt, open invitation, buddy. Anytime you want to be on, just let us know. Let's get it in the diary. There's a lot to talk about. For sure. Thank you so much for your time today, Sheila. Oh, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Fantastic. Dirk. Likewise, thank you for the education today. Uh, we, we actually thought Safe Harbor was like some new thing. I thought like it was we were, in Connecticut. Yeah, we were like over there like, what, did, did this thing just happen? And then we ask you the question, you're like, yeah, 1998. It's like, oh God, okay. Well, apparently I have been under a rock. Thank you so much for the education. It was a pleasure, thanks for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I found it incredibly informative. I, I, I do have to admit, I felt a little silly when I walked up and asked that Safe Harbor question. Yeah. And they were like, oh, you mean that thing from 1998? Yeah. <laughs> it's like... 
okay, apparently I'm not as read up as I thought. Yeah. I had no idea what that was. Yeah, I'm telling you, we are spoiled in the U.S. in terms of having just one country, one set of laws, uh, as opposed to in Europe where they've got very, very different contrast in the different laws for the different countries. And so the legal team, what a bang-up job. Could you imagine having to manage all the keeping up with innovation with a technology company, but doing all the legal work around that for various different countries that have different laws? I mean, really impressive. Good stuff. Yeah, the, the, the other thing that I, that I took away from that that I did not know uh, is that Sheila actually fell on that sword a great many years ago. Uh, eight years ago, she, she, just, she made the decision that uh, they weren't going to use safe harbor. They weren't going to do those transfers. She yeah. was going to go and she was going to actually get contracts and negotiate uh, the the handling of, of private, uh, you know, protected data, uh, and and do so as if safe harbor wasn't a thing. Right. Because to her it just didn't make sense. Yep. You know, she wanted to to, to do what was right by our customers, and and she turned out to be right. Right. She was the, right. The EU just just killed it. So. Yep. Uh, again, you know, maybe that was a little boring. I found it fascinating. So I hope you guys at home uh, found it enlightening as well. But you, my friend, while Andrew and I were up on stage duking it out in uh, the third iteration of VMware vs. Hyper-V, which, by the way, vSphere won in a landslide this time. It was like <laughs> one, two, three, knockout, and then, you know, Hyper-V got a couple, you know, I don't know. We'll call like them pity votes. Yeah, they were pity votes at the so end. So Hyper-V was Ronda Rousey? Yes, yes, yes. I love vSphere. Yeah, more or less. Um, vSphere cleaned up in a landslide today in, in that particular session. Uh, but while we were doing that, you got to sit down with some really interesting people. You want to set that up first, Pete? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We had a, a, a recurring guest on the podcast, which is, sounds crazy. But yeah, we had the founder again, Dave Hits, come on. Big uh, Hits. Big Hits, man. He came on and he shared some information. Yeah, he was joined with the VP of sales for EMEA, Manfred Reitner. Uh, and man, those two guys together, <laughs> I, I was reminded of when we were in Vegas, like, what are we doing here, Glenn? But yeah, great yeah. conversation with them. Uh, little, little, little edgy on some of the conversation, uh, and, and I won't even spoil it for you. Let's just take a quick listen to that, and then we'll comment afterwards. All right, day two at NetApp Insight Europe, and we've got a couple of very special guests with us today. Justin, we've got someone no stranger to the podcast, uh, second time on the podcast, Mr. Dave Hits himself, founder of NetApp. Dave, welcome back. Hey, happy to be here in Europe. Awesome. And sitting next to you is Senior VP and GM of EMEA, Manfred Retner. Hi, guys. Good to be here. So we're at the Tech on Tap live booth, and uh, I just had the privilege of watching you guys do an interview uh, that's out there on YouTube as well. So if you want to see a longer version of this, go out to YouTube and just do a search for uh, NetApp Insight, Dave Hits, and I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, so a couple of things that I took away from that is, obviously, you founded this company back when I was a kid, almost. And, uh, you know... Things were very different back then, Dave. We didn't even have the internet yet, which blows my mind because my kids don't even know what that means to not have the internet, right? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But seriously, like you founded a company that was heavily technology focused, obviously. You made it simple, but then the game completely changed. How did that affect you as being the leader of the company? You know, we look at today as being a time of big change. And, and it is. I mean, the, the cloud is driving amazing change. I look at Flash as a, as a storage technology, and yet, when I think back to 91 when we started, what we didn't know at that time was the World Wide Web was gonna be invented in two years. The foundation of what has become Amazon and eBay and it, all of that. And so, I mean, gee, is this change more stunning and startling to contemplate than, I mean, what we didn't even know was coming yet? Yeah. Another example. When you started the, the company, they had not even a clue what a network is, right? Well. At that time, 
Ethernet was a low quality technology used within engineering workgroups, right? And that was the market that we were targeting was this, hey, servers for engineers to store their data on. And what happened was the internet, this transition of the internet drove Ethernet to be enterprise quality. I mean, that was Cisco's mission essentially in the 90s was to take this flaky cheap network right. and turn it into an enterprise quality cross-country, intercontinental, voice quality network. And oh, by the way, we specialized in storage on that network. And, and, and so that ended up being, I mean, on the one hand, these things were so threatening, just like the cloud feels today. But on the other hand, you, you look at the opportunity it created, it was enormous opportunity if you just sort of run at it and yeah. grab a hold of it. I watched the uh, general session that you did in Inside Vegas, and that was one of the parts that st stuck with me. You said that you, you made a choice that you basically, you had a thought process that was, do what's going to help your customers and eventually you'll make money, you will get paid. And so you had two choices, right? To either uh, deny the cloud or embrace the cloud. And, and, and so NetApp has definitely been embracing the cloud and doing fantastic, but Manfred, it seems like there's a bit of a contrast between the adoption of cloud in the US and, and EMEA, at least from the way I see it. So has that been um, a struggle for NetApp in EMEA? Have you seen any differences? So what we see is that um, this differentiator is, is really helping us to generate business in the meantime. Because uh, the US, they have no problem with regularities because it's one big country, uh, one rule, the, the data is in country. So I, I think what we see is from country to country different. And there are, other, there are a couple of countries which are easy to deal with. Other are very, very conservative, so they don't even let anything out of the country. Especially in places like uh, the financial industry, they are very, very, very shy to, to put something out of their on-prem uh, uh, organization. But I would observe Europe has off, often taken a somewhat different approach. I mean, NetApp in the 90s, in the US, we were raw, raw tech and dot-com company. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and here in Europe, and especially in Germany, Manfred was part of this team, I and mean, you started in 70, uh, 98, 97. At that time, this was not the same hotbed of dot-com. And so the German organization was figuring out how to go sell to large enterprises, yeah. how to sell to people doing mission-critical applications, running their databases. When the US hit the dot-com bubble, <laughs> I will tell you part of what saved us was the style of enterprise work that was pioneered here in Germany and everybody else was going, oh my God, tech and internet, those guys aren't buying anything. How do we sell to them? Let's go, those Germans have already been doing it for years now. Is there anything we can learn? And so, it, you know, the fact that things are happening in different places at different paces, that doesn't bother me. In fact, I think that's part of how a company learns and grows, is that that's happening. Yeah, that can almost be a, actually, an actual benefactor, right? The fact that you're doing different things in different areas, right? I think that's definitely a benefit for NetApp. Well, and it completely is one of the benefits of, of being a company that we have a different portfolio of product, we have people selling in different places. So, yeah, there's a bubble over here, and this product's doing better over there, but, but as a company, yeah. we can still go through. At, the, at this time, NetApp was a, a small company American-based, and was the only company who listened also to people outside of, of the US. So I think this is the big, big advantage of NetApp, that we are really global, we're thinking global, and we are also putting engineering in a way that we can solve global issues. And I think this was a, a 
a big success for us in the past. A couple of big trends that I've been listening this week, I've seen a couple of sessions, and uh, some of the things I'm hearing a lot of people talk about are obviously the data fabric. We've been talking about that for a while. It's really starting to resonate with people, with some of our partners and our customers, and uh, Matt Watts even wearing his kilt and, and to really sort of show and articulate what exactly the data fabric is and all the different threads of the data fabric being like real threads. I thought that was pretty cool, but what are you guys seeing in terms of trends here at Insight this, this year? What, what are the big things top of mind for you guys? Well, I want to make a comment about Insight last year versus Insight this year. Last year, we introduced the concept of data fabric, but I have to say it was a lot of sort of vague, future, promising, connect everything to everybody. And I mean, which is the ultimate vision, but I think it left people a bit confused. What I'm proud of this year is the demonstration that we just did today. You had Nito from Brazil and Jeff Baxter on stage, and they were showing entirely things that you can buy today. You can back up from on-prem into the cloud. You can put data next to the cloud with NetApp Private Storage. So it's a box in uh, hosting but it's right next to the cloud. You can fail over from one cloud to another cloud. Doesn't matter how big the data is because the box that the data is sitting on is just outside the cloud and it's the box you own and it doesn't move. So five second failover if it's 10 terabytes or if it's 100 terabytes. Like that, I think we're, we're showing or back up into that and then replicate into it and do, do your test and dev using compute in the cloud but it's still your data sitting on your box. Exactly. It, the, the point is, the, all of these pieces that we kind of, it was hand waving last year. It was like, well, you could do this, you could do that. This year what I see is we're showing it's real. <laughs> Customers have already done this. You can do it today if you want. I, I just, it's, it's like a sea change from a year ago to Insight today. So is that, that's not a trend. Like last year we said what the trend is. The difference is this year we said, it's actually real. Look what we did in a year. Yeah, it is, it is very real. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I, when I heard the data fabric message last year for the first time, I was like, huh, what is that? <laughs> it, oh, but don't we already have, that's just basically all the stuff that we have already. Is this just a, is this a marketing pitch? But then, man, the past six months, it just started getting more and more real. And for me, Insight Vegas was where it just literally clicked. And not only for me, but for all the partners that we talked to at Insight, they were really excited about it. And they said, I'm now empowered. I can actually, I can sell better now, basically, because of the data fabric message. What makes me so, so enthusiastic around this data fabric is that this is such a powerful tool and it's a powerful strategy that, uh, I'll give you one example. Three, three weeks ago, there was a, a big court thing with Safe Harbor. Probably you guys have heard about it. And if you are fully focused... What, what does Safe Harbor actually mean? What, if I don't understand Safe Harbor, tell me, tell me the meaning. So, so uh, net, net Safe Harbor says that uh, countries are not allowed to give private data out of the country. And uh, I, I think if you're, if you're based on a global concept that you share the data all over the world, you, you're probably, you, you, your business model is, is scrambled, yeah. right? You, you can close. With Data Fabric, we have the chance that we, we are so flexible, we are so powerful on this, that we have a solution that exactly what is, what's mentioned in, in, in Safe Harbor, we can afford and we can do. And I think this is the power of this, of this, of this strategy, and I, I think nobody else can do it. So I actually had a question about all this. So we're talking about Safe Harbor, we're talking about you know, America not being as, as adept to finding the cloud to be their place to land. Where do, who do you see winning the race to the cloud? Who's going who's gonna to get there first? Is it going to be Europe? Is it going to be America? Or is it going to be somewhere in APAC? Who do you think is going to get there first? Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be uniform. There are companies in Europe and Verdata is one. They were the NetApp Innovator of the Year for EMEA, 
And Verdata started entirely in the cloud. They started, they're, they're a hosting service for people doing data analytics on the internet of things. They wanted a startup, didn't have enough money to build their own data center, so they said, we're going to start in Amazon and scale there. And then they actually said, well, we want multiple clouds, so they went on to SoftLayer. And then from there they said, you know, some of our customers aren't comfortable with this data. It might be medical data. Or it, and so then they said, well, let's figure out how to do an on-premise solution. And they used OpenStack and NetApp to do that. So, I mean, who's first? Anybody that's born in the cloud entirely is first. And what's interesting is then people often want to come back out of the cloud. It's, it's not a, a one-way journey. Right. But I certainly, I, I would say Australia has been uh, a place where there's a lot of action, and of course the U.S., California, I mean it's, but I don't see it so much as one country is the first to the cloud. What I see is in every country there's particular companies that are first to the cloud, and then there's other companies that do some experiments, and you know, maybe their business model lets them wait for a while, and say, well, we'll see what things happen to those other guys. I don't think this is a race between the Americas and, and EMEA because I think this is country by country different. I also think that it's vertical by vertical different. So if you look at the financial vertical, I think they are not so easy to go in, 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 in into the cloud. I think they're more conservative to stick on-prem. Because it's such sensitive data. And Absolutely. same with healthcare. I mean, I think you've nailed it. It's an industry thing. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I, think, I think it doesn't matter where, but we are we have the finger on the pulse. We can offer a solution. Yeah, I would say that you know the future is today. I've heard someone say this earlier that the, the things that people are doing, your competitors that are beating you out there, they're using things like OpenStack. They're using things like Docker containers. They're using these things, and that is today. The future is today. Whether or not you're using it now or or, or not, the future is today. All right, we've taken way too much of your time, Manfred, Dave. Thanks for coming, and you guys have an open invitation to come on the Tech on Tap podcast anytime you want. Thanks, guys. We will. Thank you. <laughs> I yeah. love that, man. I, I, it's, it's, again, you know, I shared this with you earlier. It's, it's kind of strange for me still that, like, just walk up and there's Dave Hitz, the yeah. guy who founded NetApp. Oh, he's yeah. just standing over there, act, you know, being cool. Oh, yeah. Dude is brilliant, man. Yeah. Like, he's really brilliant and he's got such a, such a clear understanding of technology, of where we need to go, where we've been, but just really, and like, he, he hasn't been in the game technically. He's a founder. Like, it's not like he's leading yeah. a specific position, but still so passionate, man. So, great conversation with them. It was really an interesting conversation also with Manfred to see the differences between US and EMEA on some of these areas and so great conversation I hope you guys enjoyed that one what's really awesome about Dave Hitz is he's so approachable and down to earth I mean you'd think that you know somebody of his stature and position he wouldn't date himself with us right but I remember last year at the Olympic Stadium we're just sitting there you know eating our food and up walks Dave Hitz just out of the blue to our group and just starts chatting with us we're like isn't that yeah, that is that is totally Dave Hitz and it was weird but it was awesome you know we talk about this at, uh, at Insight US right everybody at NetApp has a Dave Hitz story We've all had that interaction with him, and he is just a super personable, super easy to talk to guy. And uh, you know, they're all good, fun stories too, which is always a positive. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Pete, why don't you ask me about my day anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was good. All right, Justin, how about you, buddy? I know you were doing more more than just sessions today. What was uh, your day? Like? Yeah, I was actually. So I showed up and I had to drop off the camera for the demo we're doing over in the hall. It's a booth C8. Still can't tell you what that demo is. You probably already know what it is. Word's already probably gotten out. But tomorrow we're doing it again at 12.30 to 1.30, and we're doing it again on Thursday from 12.30 to 
So at what point are we actually going to be able to share what this thing is? Um, once the release that it's available in drops. Okay. Uh, so we have to be in that side of that inside that ninety day window. So we can't say what it's called, but can we explain what it does? I don't know. I, they didn't tell me that. Let's go with no. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Probably not a great idea to do that. I do like working here. If I didn't yeah. work here, I wouldn't be able to hang out with Dave Hits all the time. You know, we're we're BFFs. Well, I'm going to have to just come out and say you're, you're pretty much a tease at this point because this is the second time that you've been taunting this, this great tool I, that we have yeah, that we can't talk about. So Yeah, I'm, I'm making it all up, actually. It doesn't yeah, actually exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Um, and then after that, I mean, I, I went to my session. We did the multi-protocol session. That, worked, that went pretty well. People seemed to enjoy it. Um, the only downside was that it was in one of those tents, those fabric things. Have you been oh, to one yeah. of the fabric rooms yet? Yeah. Where like you can hear everyone else's session going on. Yeah. Yeah, that was um that was better than the igloos from Dublin. Yeah, I was about to say, did you ever present in the igloos I did. where 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 you had to wear that super sensitive mic and all the attendees had to wear like headphones so they could hear you? Oh, you got headphones? Because mine didn't. Oh I had to like yell over the fans. <laughs> but yeah, it was it went pretty well. Um so after that I went to do my Meet the Engineer session. I actually got an interview with a customer, which we'll play later on this week. And uh, you know, had a good discussion about NFS and some multi-protocol stuff. So overall, my day went pretty well. Um, after that, we went to the the Greek and geek, geek and greet. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. No, I still can't pronounce it. Yeah. And, and Greek and geek, geek and greet. I don't know. Yeah. The G and G. The yeah. G and G. G and G is what everyone has now just started calling it because we know we know, no one actually knows what to call it. I that, think that probably could use a rebranding, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but but the event itself is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, the NetUpU certification puts that on. So if you get NetUp uh, certified at any point, they'd send you a little shirt and a little uh, wristband when you sign in. Um, and you get to go to this thing, get some drinks, get some snacks. They have little hot dogs, as, as the Germans do. All right, gentlemen. We're and, delirious. Yes. It's the end of day two. Uh, let's get out of here. Jocelyn's giving us the stink eye. It's time to go. Yeah, she's about to kill us. All right. That about does it for day two at NetUp Insight. We're going to head on out, get some dinner, get some sleep. Um, if you want to reach us, uh, you can email us at podcast.netup.com. Tell us what you think about the show. Tell us what sort of things you want to hear. If you want to stop by our booth, we're giving out T-shirts and stickers still. We're we not. Are, we are out of T-shirts. Yeah, okay. we, and, and we have a limited <laughs> number of stickers. We, yeah. we have found, and an, I'm, I'm quite frankly completely blown away by, by the amount of listeners that we've ran into at this event, which, yeah. you know, on the one hand, you go, well, it's NetUp Insight. Of course, you know, the people who come to NetUp Insight would be, you know, listening to your show, but... You know, this is what, our 16th, 17th week back in. You know, this is a very, very young podcast. Uh, and, and I've been completely blown away by, by the install base t- picking it up, both field customers and partners. Yep, so we don't have T-shirts, but we are giving hugs. So come by and get a hug. Yes. <laughs> Big <laughs> hugs. Big furry hugs. Yes. All, well, the furry hugs are only from Andrew. Oh, okay. <laughs> is that a beard comment? <laughs> I go. certainly hope so. <laughs> All right, man. Let's get out of here. We, we may have been at a yes. table. I'm sure there is. With 12 to 15 is it just pounds me that's of sausage. I think that's been oh, memed already. Has it been memed already? It, it may have. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
location. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag sausage fest. Yeah. Sausage party. Not sausage fest. No. <laughs> sausage fest. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha